OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. But you know what? Today, we're, uh, we're going to chat about startups and all that good stuff. Sure. So I'm, uh, I'm excited that we're getting to chat and learn a little bit more about yourself and what you're up to today. Um, and like we like to do, we just jump right into it. So uh, welcome to uh, the Supporters Fund and OPN's Ask an Angel. And today, uh, we're getting the opportunity to chat with you, Jim. And uh, the best way for us to start is if you can share a little bit about your background, kind of where you've come from, where you're at, and where you're going. And then one thing about you that nobody will know. Oh, boy. I'll come to that later. I'll do the easy part first. Um, let's see. So I grew up in the Northeast of the United States. Uh, I was born in New York City, raised in Burbs, and uh, did all my schooling in the, the Northeast. And um, followed a lot of different paths. Got married very young, uh, really young. And, um, and we had a little boy, you know, little then. And... Uh, I ended up in banking, uh, really because of necessity. I was really more interested in the arts, but, um, you know, I had the mind for it. So I just uh, decided that I was going to, you know, bankrupt myself. My family was going to starve unless I did something more practical. So I uh, became, uh, went straight to work at a savings bank and then went to work at AIG, a subsidiary of AIG, and then went to business school at night. So I went to Stern School, got my business degree, was a banker for a while, and then kind of hit a, you know, bad timing, wrong place, wrong time. And, um, you know, having had a you know, pretty good career, um, I was doing Latin America, which was, uh, you know, very, you know, things had to be right. And then um, instead of like sticking with it, I actually did a little startup work for some different companies, not really, um, you know, from the banker perspective. And then instead of just staying in, it went back, moved down to Florida, just kind of packed up. I was divorced, moved down to South Beach, Florida and um, was managing some money for my family. So I was in the investing side of things um, and then fell into really the wrong way into startups. And I say the wrong way because I wasn't doing it directly. I was listening to other people and um, made some big mistakes early as a lot of angels do. I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people and you know, some people will make a mistake and run and others will say, shoot, I got to figure this out and I got to make it back. So that's what I did. And um, this is a long intro, but I'll finish it in a couple of sentences. So basically what happened was I decided that, um, you know, having done more reading that the, the, the way to do it was to make uh, lots of smaller bets, which is still our strategy at Bearish Ventures. And then um, I found some other people like me um, after I, I tried the angel group route, which I didn't like. And then I found people like me as, and we formed, we formed this, um, this company. And so, um, that's it. We've invested in 103 companies so far. Awesome. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, and what's the one thing about you that no one would know? Um, oh my gosh. Can I come back to that little occur to me? I don't know. I'm terrible at like recall. Um, I'll tell you one that's venture related. And actually some people do know this and he probably would hate to hear me say it, but um, I, uh, I played on the JV baseball team and the varsity football team at Andover, Phillips Academy Andover with Tim Draper. Sick. Yeah. That's pretty that's, cool. That's a good story for here. 
yeah. setting. <laughs> I mean, you know, we weren't like close buddies or anything, but uh, you know, no one got that that close in those days. But uh, um, very cool. Any any things that you remember from then, like a story that you're like, you yeah, I do actually. I'll tell you one story that's kind of fun, and and the reason I've always remembered it, but it was actually in his book. So his dad was a famous. And look, I don't want to be, you know, comparing myself to Tim Draper. Let's just get that clear. But Tim is, you know, super successful, has been doing it for decades, is worth billions of dollars. And, um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very much an amateur by comparison. But, uh, you know, I, I did go I did to high school with him. And so I did read his book and his father's book. And his father was actually one of the original venture capitalists in America. And he worked for the Exim Import Bank. I used to actually, when I was a banker, did work with them. Um, so I, I understood that. And he, um, you know, he was a big deal in the uh, Bush uh, senior, uh, you know, whatever, H.W. Bush uh, administration and elsewhere. And so um, and so I read his book and Tim's book, which is, you know, it's a little different Tim's book. But he mentioned an anecdote from football and high school about his friend. I forget his name, but his best friend growing up. They were inseparable. How he went to Deerfield, and when Deerfield was playing Andover, his friend broke his nose because they were opposite each other. And I remember being on the bus going back, and Tim had left the field with a broken nose, and he was on, and he said to us, I think he was a little bit woozy, you know, he said, um, uh, I asked the doctor if I'd be able to play lacrosse in the spring. And he said, sure. And he said, that's amazing. You're an amazing doctor because I play baseball. I've never played lacrosse in my life. So I just, that stuck with me. It's not, no, it's not hysterical by any stretch. It's not exactly, you know, high comedy, but I do remember that. So. And, and did you remember because he became famous or just happened to be? No, no, it stuck, stuck with me. Mind? No, no. I, you know, I don't really have so many distinct memories from high school. It was a long time. I hate to tell you, we graduated in 1976. It was a long time ago. So no, certain things stick with you. And I don't know why that did. I couldn't tell you anything else about that day. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it's still pretty cool. Um, well, I'd love to, to kind of go back and talk a little bit about um, on the investment side where you said you ran into the problems and the, the main things that everybody seems to face. And I'm not sure everybody faces them, but they face the, and, and what you did mention, which is that they usually bolt. Um, and that's because I think that there's this uh, perception that I'm going to fly into this new category. I'm going to make a couple investments, make some big money and then fly out. And it always seems to be the opposite of that. Maybe you can, you can share a little bit about that experience and, and what was the downside that you came across and, and how did you overcome it? Because it sounds like you were doubling down. You're like, you know what? I screwed <laughs> up and no one's taking my money. I'm going back and I'm going to find a way. To I'll, I'll, I'll answer question number two. And the easy answer is stupidity, right? I mean, stubbornness and stupidity is why I doubled down. Um, you know, there's nothing really, I'm not really proud of, of anything, you know, I can say on, on your, uh, your podcast, I'm afraid, but definitely uh, there's definitely, you know, it was that, you know, it wasn't like I knew any better. So what happened early was um, my first investment came through a friend. He didn't really advocate it. He wasn't in the business, but it really wasn't a startup. This was something closer to home. And I'll tell you the mistake I made is I was lazy. Um, I didn't do enough diligence. I kind of just looked at it. It was actually a, a green power company. You know, it was a solar company. And now you know, knowing what I know, um, you know, the structure was horrible. I mean, it was, it was, it was like a cram down. I was like investing with this 
retail group of investors that were bailing out the early investors. And it was, it was upside down because the early investors had preferred and we were coming in with common. I mean, it was honestly, I'm not gonna say the name of the company so that they, they could sue if they want, they're out of business. It was fraud. There was fraud all over the place. So the mistake I made was I wrote a big check, things looked good. I actually, I actually re-upped, I did the follow on. And um, so that was a lack of diligence, but I thought I knew what I was doing because it was basically a utility play. And I kind of understood the utility business to some extent. So, I mean, you know, not to a great extent. So that was number one. Number two was a, uh, a friend, you know, acquaintance of mine, I have to watch what I say, who I, you know, I knew from Miami, he was a smart guy, worked at a good institution, came to me with a deal. And I wrote a big check, like a pretty big like a check I would never write today, um, ever. And um, things look good. And then I, I followed on because the indication I was getting back was it was great. And I'll tell you, it was in the space, it was competitive of WeWork, which is not a good business, frankly. So, um, but it was a competitive WeWork. And there was, once again, I mean, with a small F fraud. I won't go into it. I'm not going to say any names. But so that one would have been hard to uncover. It certainly looked great at the time. And a lot of people made that mistake. But P.S. by you know that thing went my shares because they were you know we got crammed down by uh, the company still exists we got crammed down by later investors the original management was kicked out under questionable circumstances and I was out four hundred thousand dollars no more I was out four hundred fifty thousand dollars my first two pets now I didn't know that at the time it took me a long time you know these things dragged on for years. Um, but I was, I was down a lot. And so the conclusion I drew was do it yourself. You're relying on other people. Don't be lazy. I hate due diligence, but you know, do the diligence and, and, um, and get out there. So, you know, and then I started, that's a whole other chapter. And <laughs> I still stumbled a few times. Well, it's some, it's some good advice on the, the do your due diligence because, uh, I, I think I've pretty been pretty adamant about that and, and stuck to the same line that you just said that it's, you know, it, it's not the favorite thing, but it is the only thing that's going to protect you and your funds is that you really do dive into these companies that you make investments on. And a lot of the times it does get overlooked. And sometimes it's because it's early in first few investments, you're excited, you're part of a new group, right. new excitement. Um, and maybe you just follow along with the rest of the gang and just jump in because these other people went in, are they supposed to do the due diligence, whatever that might be. But really doing your own uh, due diligence on anything that you're going to invest in when it's your time and your money makes a big difference. Is there, is there ways that you now look at it? You've made 100, and, 100 plus investments. You've got other investments you made before that. Um, yeah. Before you got into the consortium. Have you kind of lined up things that said, you know what, here's the 10-step process that I follow every single time. No, if I don't no. I, I, actually I have. And I hate to disappoint you and sort of contradict the advice yeah. you're giving your listeners, but I'm still not big on due diligence. And, and let me tell you how I've sort of gotten around it. Um, okay. The big thing I want to make sure is that there's no fraud because I've, I've suffered from fraud three times, different degrees. One was out and out fraud. I got my money back. And the other two were, as I said, these other ones were, you know, never proven. There was certainly a degree of it, but like I said, small effort. Um, 
So the main thing that we do, because we do write a lot of checks, we don't have, um, you know, we don't have outside money. One thing about our fund is we're a ledger fund. There are seven partners. So um, it's not like we have $20 million in the management or $100 million. We've got all this money to pay. Um, so we have our lawyers do the kind of, you know, little bit of not like background checking, but, you know, they check the deal docs, they check the uh, corporate docs. And then really what we're doing is following other people. We never leave because we don't write big enough checks. It's sort of by necessity. So uh, I hate to say this because like I said, you don't want to hear this, but we really piggyback on other people's diligence for the large, for, to a large extent. But let me say this, if someone is not really keen on doing a lot of diligence, let me just give one piece of advice. Check your founders on LinkedIn and make sure that they list the company that they say they're you know, running as on LinkedIn, as the employer that they're at. If they're not, you call them, don't write them, call them and say, what the hell is going on here? And if you don't like the answer, move on. That is a really easy one. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. That's a, a fast way to, to detect that. And, there, and like what you said is there's nothing wrong with not leading and participating in rounds. You get to know the founder. You're still checking on the company to make sure that it's 100% uh, legit and mm -hmm. not fraudulent. And you're doing such small checks, but you're small um, checks into the company. And then you're making that decision to make an investment. And I, I think that those are still standard pieces that you have to follow uh, because you're trying to adhere to the seven people in your own group. And the last yeah. thing you, you want to happen is that, you know, you didn't follow a couple of those points. And again, you get defrauded again and find that. You yeah. I mean, that, 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 we haven't suffered from fraud in 102 deals. I mean, all the fraud in my life, it was early. I'm in 130 deals or more, but I mean, there's a lot of overlap between my deals and, and our fund deal deals. That's why, um, you know, it might surprise you that I'm not in more, but you know, probably 10 or 15, there's overlap. But, um, you know, the, it, it all came kind of early. And the reason that we, you know, what happens is if one of my partners has a question, then they'll call up like one of the customers, you know, and then we'll get a couple and say to them, you know, can we talk to your customer? So it's not like we never do that, but it only comes up when we, we feel it's necessary. But remember, you know, I say remember because you know this about me because we spoke before, but you know, I'm involved with um, two really great accelerators. One of them is in Canada, which is CDL, Creative Destruction Lab. I mean, you get to know the company as well. So technically it's not diligence, but those companies have been screened by scientists, you know, at, you know, at, you know, at your version of the National Science Foundation and then by professors, you know, at the universities. And then we meet with them. I mean, you know, these companies are vetted before I even say hello to them. So you have a high degree of comfort. Well, and they're also putting it, they're investing in them as well, right? They're putting a few dollars in behind them. They're working not with CDL, them. Not CDL, no, not CDL, but other, 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 other mentors. Yes. Yeah, correct. So, but what I still like about this and only because we actually never actually have had the conversation yet about the fraud side. And <laughs> I think there's a lot of- um, That's great. Jim Harwood's fraud. You know, that's why I could be, you know, Victim of fraud. I'm the no, but we've gone through it as well. So that's the thing is that um, it, it, it comes in all shapes of, of sizes and forms that you don't believe are possible. And uh, in our case, it actually came through, uh, not through um, a startup. It came through an investor that was leading a startup to hmm. get investment. 
And uh, what they ended up doing is uh, they, they dragged the company on to a point where they were ready to make investment. They gave them a date. They wanted to break ground. So there was an opportunity to do a bridge round to get into the, to the structure of the business. The founders were awesome. The IP was great. And it ended up turning into a massive, drawn out, um, real fiasco mess. And it all came down to uh, an investor that was literally wasting two years of time on the startup had no intention of probably ever investing. And it, the, the end of the story was that the company ended up having to uh, file bankruptcy. Oh, I see. So it wasn't like the investor embezzled the money, though that has happened clearly in, in publicly traded companies, um, on big private companies. But what happened was he just basically strung along the startup. Yep. Oh. That's got it happened. to a point where they signed off on all the paperwork. Everything was done deal. Hold co put the money here. We'll be here till this date. The company lined everything else up. They had four months to get running and building. And then at that date, big major accident happened and all they couldn't deliver eight months yeah. later. Uh, there was never probably any money there and everybody had to walk away, fold the company. We lost on the deal because we were the bridge round. And uh, it was a great IP, great company. And then what the worst part of it is, is that the founders ended up having to not only bankrupt the company, but they split ways. And it was tough because they'd been together five years building this all out. And it was pretty exciting and all because one person wow, that's, decided. That's to the real out. tragedy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when you start to look at these things and what you went through, due diligence um, at any form makes a big difference. But now even on our side, we're looking at, Man, we even now have to go to the extent of looking at investors to make sure that they're not leading the, the wrong investors way. themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So um, it's interesting that you, that you bring that up, and I, I think a lot of the times we we all think that all we see on the media is these great stories of how exciting early stage investing is, <laughs> but no one realizes that there's Are you kidding? It's risk a nightmare. All accounts. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love what I do, but. You know, everyone says, oh, it's the greatest job in the world. And believe me, I have exhilarating moments sometimes. And um, I do love it. But it can be very trying. It's a ton of work. And it requires a ridiculous amount of patience. Um, there's not a lot of positive feedback for years and years. Um, so I think, you know, I think people should go into it, A, understanding the risk, understanding how to mitigate the risk, which is what we're all about. Um, notwithstanding, you know, what I said about diligence and, um, and, and then, um, you know, understanding the, the ups and downs and, and the, the patience that's required. Um, you know, I think if, you know, I, I come back to that word, because I think, I think it's the most essential quality in an investor uh, in this, in this, you know, field is, is patience, but it's not all fun and games. Um, and you're not going to get that traders rush um, that, you know, I think some people go in who have like a trader mentality. It's like, hey, seven years, eight years, maybe. You know, you yeah, those things aren't fast, right? Yeah, I, I think uh, the immediacy, you know, and, and it, you make a good point because when you start now, as you continue to roll this, move this forward and roll the ball forward, is that eventually in that seven years from now and five years from now, you're going to start to get a lot more action happening as long as you continue to do this every year. Then in year five and year six, you should have companies that Absolutely. are starting to transact. It's like an aging schedule, you know, yeah. you do like a, you know, an inventory or uh, aging schedule or receivables uh, one, you know, if you took like your accounting, um, what do we call it? Uh, I 
forget what it's called, uh, CFA, accredited uh, financial analyst. I remember it from that stuff. And yeah, it's like that. You basically have this, you know, like the first few years is nothing. And then you expect things to roll off. And, and fortunately, personally, I'm at that, you know, I hit that because I started before the fund's only three years old, but we're actually starting to get, you know, we've had one exit. Um, we have, and then two more have been, one is unofficial. I really shouldn't be talking about it. And uh, both of them are unofficial, but it looks like we may have two more before the end of the year. So, you know, if every 12 months we're starting to get three exits, that's a pretty fast pace. I don't anticipate that, but if we do, that's satisfying. Yeah. You just have to wait till you get to that stage. Yeah. And that's all part of that planning. And when we look at things, you look at short, mid and long-term investments, but it's that cycle to keep it all going. So in your case, you now have a fund where you're building in that in three to five and seven years in these increments, you're going to start having companies that are going to cycle in and out of your process. Some may fail, some will win. But the thing is, is that as you keep investing and you get to year five, you're going to have another five year, more years for some other companies. Oh, absolutely. We keep going. We're, you know, we're only three years in as a fund, but we, yeah, we, um, you know, we're, we're moving at the same pace. We're doing, a, you know, somewhere around 30 deals a year. That's incredible. And when you guys are working on these deals and you, you mentioned uh, a little bit about, um, you know, the, the types of diligence you're doing, what are the types of companies you're going into? Is there a specific vertical? Is there an area that you like looking at with these accelerators that really uh, pique your interest? Uh, or have you kind of just left, left it generic and, and you guys just through your consortium decide, you know what, here's five companies, pick two and we're going to invest. Of course, um, you know, it's really sort of what catches your fans. I mean, you know, our goal here is to make money. So, um, you know, we, yeah, we're going to be drawn to something that, you know, we think has a lot of upside and, 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 you know, we're early stage because our checks are small. So we have to be early, which means that in order to justify the risk, we, for the most part, have to feel that if it hits, it's really going to hit. Uh, but as far as sector goes, you know, I always say that our specialty is early stage. So we're sort of pattern recognition for what an early stage company looks like. That means understanding the issues to do with boards and cap tables and, you know, sizing their, you know, pre-seed or whatever it is. And you just get good at that. People are always asking me to help them with like their, you know, their VCs and like the B round. I'm like, I, that's like, that's not my territory. I don't know that world. Ask Tim Draper, you know, ask uh, someone at, Sequoia, that, that, that's not my world. My world is rough, you know? It's, it's like, it's often a science project, you know? And yep. it's like, how do you get a company from a science project to, um, you know, to a real company? And there's a lot of that at, at, at these accelerators. Um, so now I forget your question. Oh, sector, yeah. So, but you, you kind of figure out what you like and it changes. So um, I would say that our, we have, like five funds, it's crazy, but we, we, I used to say the first fund, once it hit 25 companies, I couldn't fit it in my file drawer, so I stopped. <laughs> and then, I, then we went to Google Drive, so it didn't matter anymore, but I still like that kind of size. So that one is, is, is a hodgepodge, stage and sector. Um, and it's our best fund, like that fund, you know, if I could kind of brag and, you know, I'm predicting, I don't know, but it's probably gonna be like 12X. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but that's pretty informed, you know, 12X not including a carry because we don't have a carry. We just invest our own money. So um, what's happened since then is I like science more, even though I was an English major and an MBA. Um, and it's partly because of the accelerator. So I'm really drawn to science because to me, it's the most disruptive and it's the best mode. 
So it doesn't really matter um, whether it's in life sciences um, or um, something else. We actually created a fund called Deep Tech and another one called BioTools um, to be able to put these things. So we have a sort of quantum ready uh, company going into Deep Tech and um, in uh, BioTools, we have uh, companies that are basically helping pharma biotech companies accelerate the process. So like drug discovery or a company that makes peptides, you know, if you know Twist, like if I was lucky enough to invest in Twist, Twist would have been in this, in this thing. So um, I mean, I kind of know what I don't like. Um, I don't like to go into super crowded spaces and try and pick like, I would never do scooters, even though I know people have made millions on scooters. I'm not gonna touch scooters or just plain drones, you know, it's just not. Too crowded. I love robots, though. <laughs> no, I love that, and it's it's good though that you're you're finding these niche spots going after them. Now, does the rest of your team on the consortium side of the the seven is how do you regulate that so that if you're all over robots and everybody else is like, you know what, well, I just want to go into deep tech. Happy you asked that question, and it's really it's such a great structure, and I didn't even appreciate how you know how lucky we were. And I'll, I'll, let me let me answer that. So. We're a ledger fund, which means that we only, we've literally passed the hat, not literally, but we passed the hat on each deal. So if I bring in company XYZ and you're in our fund with, you know, let's just pretend it's just you and me. And I say, look, Jeffrey, I, I gotta, we gotta do this deal. I'm gonna put in $25,000. What do you think? And you say zero. Well, that's it. And now I gotta see if the company's gonna take 25. But if you say, yeah, I'm gonna put in 50, we go back at 75. There's no rule. There's no commitment up front. You vote with your feet each time. And here's what's wonderful about it is that our best deals, we actually go to a, when we have a high conviction deal, we'll go to outside like friends. We have like a group of like friends and family that we bring into certain deals. When we go out and people pile on and we write a, a bigger check, those are our best deals. It's like, it's not an investment committee. It's like where, for what companies are people willing to get their checkbook out? And guess what? When they're, when they're willing to do that, they tend to be the best companies. Yep. Vote with your money. I like that. So when you do it that way, is it still uh, based off of a two and 20 structure or is it? No, no, we don't have a two and two. We don't have no 20. As I said, there's no carry. We just invest our own money and our friends and family don't pay 20. We take a, a, a fee up front. We take a five, five to 6% fee, depends on the fund up front. And then that's it. And uh, I, you know, I basically run it administratively with, you know, with help. We've got uh, consultants all over the place. So is it, is it like an SPV for each investment? Or no, no, done? no. That's the whole beauty of the ledger fund. What it is, is a one, well, each fund, we set up different funds, like I said, because they get unwieldy. Um, but for like Barrett's Adventures, which is our first fund, 25 companies, I think we wrote 27, 28 checks. Um everyone who invests, we have to keep a ledger and then your percentage. So we know which deals you should get economics in. If you invest in deal two, six, and eight, you only get the economics from deals. Two, it's six, not eight. blended. Then it is based not on the blended. No, no, but, but the, there is, if there's ever a vote or anything legally, your percentage in the fund as a whole, let's just say we invested $2 million in the first, in that fund and you invested 200,000, you have 10% of the shares of that fund. But the, what really matters to you is the economics of each deal. So you get one K1, sorry, American term, you get one K1 per fund, even though you might be in 12 different companies. Okay. 
Now that makes sense. And that's a good balance too. Then you're, you're actually getting paid out on the companies you invested in versus all of them. Oh, yeah. uh, and blending for no reason, right? When you uh, had no interest in five of the seven companies. No one's complained about the structure. It's we're actually, I'm looking to apply it to uh, an accelerator that I'm involved in so that the mentors can invest in the companies. It's, I like it's, it. It's beautiful. Well, it's unique. It's the first time I've uh, got to hear this structure outside of doing SPVs and, but hearing that structure in uh, the U S or in Canada. So that's pretty cool. So how much, and I always like to shape this around this because I, I really think that a lot of people tend to sometimes not understand or utilize their background and their initial learning that they've taken to exemplify the role they're in now or the role they want to go into. So how much of your banking background really helped you in what you're doing today? Okay. Um, I think I would just say how much of the, what, you know, the person I was sort of brought up to be, you know, got exercise as a banker, you know, and then exercised here. Um, I would say a lot. I mean, as a banker, you have to be, it's like going to college, you know, or, uh, you know, to say to college, you know, you go from class to class and, you know, in the United States, actually, I heard some uh, very, very good Canadian CEO take a blast at Americans for not coming out of college with any specialty. And I, you know, I wasn't being necessarily, I mean, I'm very pro-Canadian. I didn't take exception to it in a chauvinistic way, but I, I just, I just disagreed because I'm that person, you know, I mean, I, and, and I, I think I, I'm, I think I'm doing a really good job at what I'm doing. And I think it serves me really well. Um, there's actually a book about generalists, you know, but everyone's talking about, you know, 10,000, you got to do something 10,000 times, but there's also a book oh, about generalists. And also, if you know, I mean, I, I, I read and also listen as I take my walks for exercise to uh, books on Audible. And I, li I listen to a lot of science history. And, um, and a lot of the greatest scientists have an artistic, you know, side to them. If it wasn't them, it was their parents, you know, like, you know, they played violin or their mother played violin, you know, or something like that. And so I think it's important to have a mixture. It's not a requirement. So anyway, in college, I had that mixture. As a banker, I had to move from company to company. I wasn't a specialist in any one field. I was a, I had a, I was a product specialist, but I had to, you know, meet with companies. And what, I, what you had to be, what a banker doing what I did had to be is a quick study. And um, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I mean, I... I, I um, I, I went to interview for a job with a, uh, a, a kind of a small like NASDAQ, um, you know, OTC type bank in New York. And I wish I had gotten that job because they literally, I don't think they even wanted me to, but I was like going into meetings with clients, like companies were pitching and I was like there and like, and it hit me like, this is what, this is my strength. Like I can understand like anything that someone's telling me, I don't care what the sector is. And I can get to the bottom of it and kind of like see the possibilities in it. And I would, I honestly, I really, I mean, I know it sounds, you know, very un-Canadianly uh, um, uh, pompous of me, but I, I really think I would have been good at that job. And so it's that capacity, which I think was developed in me from, you know, day one, you know, as educationally. And then, you know, I applied as a banker um, and was being unutilized for a good part of my life came back to me here. And so later in life, I just, felt, I was home. I just like, wow, you know, like 
like, I'm good at this. Like, I'm like made to do this. But I always tell people, I've got no PhD, I've got no specialty. I just bring, you know, my experience. But that experience that you that you did gain through the banking side of things and your generalist mentality allowed you to build uh, a pattern or at least build and exercise your mind around how banking worked, how startups worked in banking, how big business worked in banking. So that when you did kind of find your way into this startup realm again, you have a pattern in your brain that's been built around how all of these things get executed, how finance has a huge impact in any business. And you can kind of help steer companies through the experiences you've had on the fraud side, through how banking is structured. (laughs) So there becomes a lot of things that we don't think are actually learned, but they really were in that process that as you were going through, you were hearing about stuff that the average person may not have ever learned. And those also reading, I mean, it's from reading the Wall Street Journal every day for, you know, decades. And, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a breadth of experience, you know, yes. You know, look, I mean, I visited lots of plants, you know, and I met with executives, you know, it just kind of all sinks in. You learn a lot in business school, but, um, and also I learned as an investor, um, not in the early stage stuff, you know, just, I mean, I'm a limited partner in a lot of companies, a lot of VCs, a lot of funds. And uh, I don't know. And also I've learned on the job. I mean, I'm learning every day. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the fun part. I mean, this is work. And I, you know, I enjoy it, not with saying everything I said, but it's what really what makes it besides hoping to make money um, fun and worthwhile is the education. And so uh, that's what kind of gets you out of bed every morning with a, with a, you know, what, what, what's today going to bring? I love that. 100% 100% agree with you. It's the, it's the, what motivates you and you can find a million things. And I always, uh, I, I set early meetings with startups or with companies and or investors because one, it forces me to have to be on page and ready to go, but it also forces me to think beforehand, what do I got to achieve here? Why am I doing this? What do I got to get out oh, of Oh, I see. This? So like you'll have a call like at 830 just to like start your day with a you know, make yeah, sure but you're I'll work it at seven and I'll do it just because it forces me to make sure that I'm on my game by 7 a.m. And huh. people be like, man, that's early. What are you doing? And I'm like, you know what? I got a busy day, but I might not have that 730 meeting. But by the time that meeting comes up, if it's two days or three days from now, that 730 will be filled and I will be booked until whatever time. But it forces me to make sure that that other person is just as serious about what we're doing and that we're going to close a deal and that they see that I'm just as interested no matter what that I'm going to be there and I'm going to make that happen. I, I like it because you, you know, you want to make sure that your founder is serious and committed. Yep. And, uh, you know, I actually have to like point, I have to point out to some founders that this is not, uh, this is not for fun. You know, we're not here for fun. And I don't really um, need to hear about how much they enjoy their, their job or anything like that, you know, to a degree, but um, like it's, this is about executing and, uh, and, 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 um, it's just serious. You know, when you're dealing with other people's money, it's really serious. And that's, that's the way I feel. I mean, I feel like a steward of other, you know, I can rub people the wrong way, even my own team, because I'm so serious about this. Well, put it this way too, that um, who can't be at a meeting at seven in the morning? What do you have that you can't attend? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, but I wouldn't necessarily take a meeting at seven it's because I can't sleep. So my sleeping pattern is so unpredictable that my best hour or two of sleep might be starting at six or five. I might be up for three hours in the middle of the night. 
but that's age, that's age related, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 60s. So uh, yeah, if I were in my 40s or 30s, which I imagine you are, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, shoot, I had to get to the bank at seven for a long time. So uh, yeah, I hear you. you right? And remember, then, when you get older, just think back to what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, agreed. But I, I also think that what it does is it lines up your seriousness too. It shows the startup that you're willing to adjust if your schedule is busy. You're willing to slot somebody in early just to make sure you're fitting them in because you want their success. You want to make sure that, like you said, you're investing other people's money. That there's serious on both ends, and and I think I, I, that's what I'm I'm saying. There, you're aligned in that way. For me, it's more the weekend because I I work you know seven days a week, and so if I'm if someone's willing to call me late at you know later in the evening, then I take that as a good sign. Or if, you know I I'm often saying, look, my I'm I don't schedule as many calls in the weekend. Can you talk? And if they take that, I mean, I understand that people have kids and stuff, but it's a good sign to me. Yep, agreed. Yeah, all those things help, right? Every little bit. Um, brilliant. Well, I think now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of transition into our uh, uh, our questions, which are rapid fire. So uh, we'll ask a bunch of them, and then we're going to get into some more personal stuff. Uh-oh. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we like to learn everything about you. We want our, our community better to be able to – really dive into to learning about how Jim thinks and what Jim does. And that's, that's the way we like to roll. So, okay. Um, and you, you talked a few about, uh, already have mentioned a couple of these answers. So some of them might be just reemphasizing them again uh, because it's all in that quick segment. But so what is your favorite part of investing? This kind of investing? Um, like I said, it's the education and then those aha moments when it's more mentoring but when you really help a company um, sort of understand their own business better, uh, it's usually strategy. That's usually where I'm the most helpful. I love it. We're, uh, we think alike, same way. It's that excitement you get at the end of it all too. Um, how many companies do you invest in per year? Per year? Well, I only invest through Beresford. So like I said, we're sort of around 30. Um, I mean, I'm in 130, whatever. And then, um, and I, you know, I, I invest through AngelList for the education of it, you know, uh, just to kind of know what's out there. So I'm, I'm in, and if you include my LP investments through funds, so they're not direct, but I'm in probably like 350 companies. Amazing. Huge. Uh, and you mentioned a bit on the verticals again, but just to reemphasize the verticals that you, you like and focus on. Um, I enjoy life sciences, so therapeutics to be specific. Um, we don't invest a lot in therapeutics, but I really like, you know, I'm, I'm literally reading Janeway's immunology. You know, I, I read books on the classes I didn't take in college and, you know, in science. Um, so I enjoy those the most, but I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, uh, I stumble around in those. Um, what do I like best? Like I said, I would just say the science, but look, we have direct to consumer. We have apps too. I mean, I like it when they, when they do well, I like it. I like, I like when they grow fast. And one thing I have to say, and I, I would say this to a lot of people, I'm sure on the phone, you know, the, the, the Valley venture company, you know, firms, you know, they can basically limit themselves to fast growth companies because that's, what's there. They can be very picky. Don't be disappointed if you can only invest in companies that are grinders and they're going to grow slower. Um, it may be that they're selling B2B and long sales cycles. People say, well, don't do that. But that's, guess what? Unless you're in the Valley, that's, 
that's a lot of what you're going to see. And so you should take the best of those. And that's where the patience comes in. I like it. Uh, what's your timeline for investments from the first time you have a conversation to the end? To the end when it exits or the end when we write a check? When you write a check. Um, well, again, I mean, I should be embarrassed, but um, I have to get to our strategy to explain like who, why we do what we do. But um, I mean, we have done deals in like two days where um, like I'll meet a company, say it's CDL or, and, and I'll bet, oh my goodness, this company's great. And I'll, you know, maybe not two days, four or five days. And then they'll say, like, you know, what's your time? Like, oh, we're closing, whatever. We got like 50,000 left or whatever. It's like, great. I go to my team pitch. We, I remember there's one company we did that. I was so proud of my team. We got on the phone. Everyone loved it. You know, we, I think we wrote a $75,000 check. And like, we turned it around. We wired the money out like, you know, six days later. Um, it could be that to, you know, you're, it could be a year. I mean, it really, it depends not so much on us as it does on the company. Um, and on their round. Okay, love it. Um, outside of your your uh, the quick DD that you guys um, go through, is there any factors that really shape and prepare the investment that you think really stand out? They need to have a shareholders agreement and we're in. Like, is there something that really stands out? Well, documentation-wise, our lawyers, they are like our, you know, our investment committee, really. They So um, they'll tell us. And uh, like, I'll tell you, like, you know, it's got to be, can't, we don't do common. We've walked away from a lot of deals that are common, just won't do common, won't do uncapped notes. And then the, uh, you know, the, the, the company docs have got to be good and the, the deal docs have got to look good. And that's where we walk. We, we are easy, we're kind of pushovers when it comes to investing in a company based on its, you know, on the face of it. But we're, we're really strict on, on the documents. And we, we point out to better, bigger funds than us. What's wrong sometimes in the documents? Perfect. No, I wholeheartedly support that. Uh, do you, and you mentioned before that you don't like to, to lead rounds, so that's good. Uh, and you mentioned a little bit about the preferred terms. Maybe you can emphasize a little bit more on that strategy side that you were just mentioning, uh, how that works and how you guys get through companies really quickly. And then end result, if it's pref shares uh, or if it's uh, just pure equity, what is that favorable terms that you guys go well, for? Well, we're not looking for special terms. I mean, I've been in an angel group and, uh, and I've seen the other angel groups, you know, who basically try and, um, you know, play, I guess, I think is a weak hand and, and overplay it and ask for ridiculous thing, you know, 50% warrant coverage and, you know, two times liquidation, you know, participating, you know, you know, it's like, no, we don't want that. We're not, we're not saying the terms. We just want to be preferred. So we want our safe to be post money if possible. And that's something we're insisting on more often. And I can, you know, you know what that means, but I can explain it if necessary. So we want post money saves. We want them to say that they're going to convert to preferred. Um, and that, you know, the Y Combinator safe that people are using these days. That. So we're okay about safes. We, leave, we did kisses too, as long as they have this in there. We're a note that converts to prefer with a post money cap. Um, and if it's, if it's a price round, it just has to be price equity. So, um, you know, that means it's gonna, I mean, usually they have one times liquidation, liquidation preference. We're not looking or expecting more. I'll tell you this is if a deal has two or three times liquidation preference or lots of warrants, that usually means that the issuer, or the, you know, the startup is, is desperate. And I would say that that's a pretty obvious red flag and you should probably walk. And, and I, I can say I haven't listened to my own advice several times and been burned. 
I will highly agree with that. Um, and, and I think that's just diving in a bit more, like you said, and, and trying to learn more about what the hustle is for. Like, why are they trying to close? What's the reason? Sometimes it could be that they, they're trying to grab uh, inventory. They have other issues that they're working through. Uh, but a lot of the time, it's just trying to buckle through a bigger problem that you don't know about. Yeah, or a lot of times it's basically the earlier investors. I mean, it could be a recap, and it's okay if it's a recap. Just tell me it's a recap, and I got to understand what. But a lot of times, it's the early investors who are desperate to keep the company afloat and are telling the founder that he's got to, he or she's got to sweeten the deal to get them in. Yep. I would say a lot, but I've definitely seen that that scenario. No, nope, makes sense. Um, and then outside of um, do you take board seats? No. Okay. We, we, no one asks us to, and you could say it's because, you know, we're not, we're nothing special and that's fine. Um, but, uh, there's a liability issue and, uh, we, you know, we don't have insurance for that. And then, um, it's really just a tail wagging the dog. If you're writing smallest checks, you, you know, it's not right to have a board seat. That's a whole what? other conversation. I mean, boards and founders to me is like, it's such a big part about being an early stage investor. I, I, would, I actually would like to be on a board because I think I would be, because the, a lot of board members are there protecting their own interest as opposed to all the shareholders' interests. And a lot of board people um, don't really understand startups. True. Yep. Well, we, we, uh, we try to, in our case, because of a fund, we try to put our investors into boards and we do that so that one, they can, uh, in the board or advisor, and so that they can provide um, coaching, goal setting, and drivers back into the startup, but also at the same time, because they're investors, they're angels or VCs, but at the same time, they also can report back into the funds. So they kind of work with them to work with us. And right. it provides a nice level of management. But a lot of the time, uh, it's usually self-fulfilling boards, and it's unfortunate, but we, we do it to benefit them, but also support what we're doing. And we tell them that uh, we don't want to be in your board after two years. So mm. you need to be growing so that you're not talking to us. If you're talking to us in two years, we're not doing so the right wrong. Thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I hear you. And how, how big are your checks? Uh, they vary anywhere from, we try to make sure we're putting in a hundred thousand as a minimum in a pre-seed and seed. So uh, we're trying to push that target higher. Um, so that we'll be doing uh, 100 to 250 on each check. So we wanted to have more of an impact because of the area of focus that we're in. So we, we try to push that a little higher. Got it. But uh, um, so outside of the, your, your, uh, the investment strategies and all these great things you guys are doing, is there well, other we do ways? a lot of bad things too. Don't get me wrong. We're only right 30% of the time in this business. Well, that's Baseball. still, that's still, uh, <laughs> you know, 10% or 20% better than most. So that's a good thing. Um, do, you, uh, do you look at other ways to help the startups too? So once you've made that investment, what other kind of carry well, on? We only try and help where we think we can help. So um, I try not to overpromise and underdeliver, though I will confess sometimes it happens. But, um, you know, when you have 100, over 100 companies in your portfolio and you know a lot of mentors, you know, through these different accelerators, there are usually some ways that you can connect people. Often it's founder to founder. So, um, you know, we're sort of connectors, you know, uh, more than anything. And every now and then help on business development. And, um, and look, I'm, you know, 
when you have so many companies, you can't be on boards, you know, all, you know, even if they wanted us, we couldn't be on a lot of boards. But I am sort of the founder whisperer for a few companies. I mean, some of them I'm just friends with and we just talk. Um, and I think it's just like when they're winding down at the end of the day, they might talk to me or whatever. Um, and, you know, but I'll, I'll throw some advice. But there are a couple of cases where like there was one company, remember, like you said, like I was sort of like on that early board until like the next round and then I got replaced. But I was like someone who was there, you know, once every month or so to just kind of talk to the founder. There's another founder I talk to every week and it's serious stuff. I mean, actually it's much closer to banking, um, but like I'm helping them make serious decisions. So it really depends on the founder. If they seek it out, um, I'll offer, but a lot of times it's, some, it's someone to talk to and just someone who's just got some experience and wants, you know, they just want to double check their math. You know, you're helping them check their math, I guess. I love it. And a wholeheartedly agree again, that's uh, some great advice. Um, so we're going to kind of shift a little bit now into the personal side. Right. And uh, we built this segment in because I found that I was having these amazing conversations and I'm not myself very uh, uh, personal uh, because I, I always tend to wait for someone to ask the question, the need to ask the questions. But through some of the startups we work with, I actually learned um, some real easy ways to kind of segment into these things. And segue, uh, segue into this. Yeah, segue right in. So it was brilliant. So I, I started to come up with my own kind of questions that really opened this up. And I felt, man, this is great. So I've been uh, in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 segments, I've been using it. And I probably explain myself because of uh, the shock that I go through every time I have to ask a personal question. So this is me working my way into right. it. I won't answer if it's too personal. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's nothing crazy like that. But um, and one that I asked to when I was teaching, I asked a lot of students and some of the startups I'll ask them this. So, and you made me think of it. So now it's going to become one of my questions going forward to all of the investors I speak with. Um, but what is your superpower? Um, well, I don't know that I have one, but I would, you know, I, if, you, if it's sort of like, you know, if you name it, you're pro it's probably not right. Um, I think it's the ability but I think it's the ability to quickly grasp what these, the company does, as I said earlier, and then kind of in a very optimistic way, um, imagine where the company will be in five years. It's sort of a visualization. Does that make sense? Like yep. seeing into the future. Um, and I don't mean to say I know what the future is going to be. I'm not you know, crazy, <laughs> um, but it's just like, what could it be? And believing in it, it's like, and sometimes I believe in it more than the founder, which is a little bit nuts. <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect. You need that. And that's the whole reason why these founders are calling you because they need that support. So that's brilliant. Uh, favorite sports team? Oh, the Miami Heat. That's the easiest question you've asked yet. I'm like a sick, stupid fan. It's disgusting. And I, I'm ashamed. I, I behave very badly at games. Fair enough. They're okay. I wouldn't say they're the best team in the league. No, I, I didn't either. But they're... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they've certainly pulled, uh, you know, some great teams over the years. So I, I can say with Bosch being uh, sent over yeah. there a long time ago and uh, stealing some of our prime players. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about uh, that. It, it's been uh, it's been a good run. You guys got your championship and I was pulling for the Raptors big time. I was I was just sick of the sick of the dubs winning all the time. So agreed. I wasn't happy that all those injuries happened, but I was I was really happy for uh, Toronto and the city because, you know, I was spending a lot of time there. Yeah. It's uh, it's really pulled it through. So, but Miami's always had a great team. So always competitive in all sports, but especially 
Uh, in well, the I wouldn't say we're competitive all sports. You go too far there, but uh, you know. Well, you guys try. You've got your football. You guys are football. Uh, we've had it's been a dry spell. Um, yeah, and it's been hard. And uh, baseball, I don't follow the Marlins really, but uh, the Marlins have been pretty, pretty much in the basement for a long time. But well, the, the, the Panthers couple, have so been. They were up and down too. Yeah. Yeah, well, the Marlins won twice, but that was before I lived here. I was in New York, you know, in those days. So I wasn't pulling for the Panthers. Oh, okay. For the Marlins. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, all right, so the next question. Favorite movie and what oh. character would you play? Oh, my God. You know, I used to act. I talk about theater. I used to act or act and write. So, like, you know, that's another thing. You know, I, I acted with some good people um, in high school and college, like Jim Spader, James Spader. Oh, yeah. Uh, is one. Um, you know, he's in something called Blacklist. Yep. And um, though she wouldn't completely deny it, but um, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm having a senior moment. It'll come to me. But uh, an actress is uh, a TV show, very, very, you know, Dana Delaney um, was a name you probably wouldn't know, but a big TV actress in her day and stuff. So um, which movie is my favorite movie? Oh, I don't know. I'll tell you what, I'm going to answer the question <laughs> and, and in a different way. My, the TV show I love best, the series is Admin. A madman. Madman. Okay. Madman. I would definitely play Jack Ham's character. Nice. All right. Hey, that works the same way. There's still uh, still a good good movie or a good vibe. And people don't go to movies anymore because of COVID. So you know, if you haven't seen Mad Men, you know, go watch it on Hulu or Netflix, whatever you guys have up there. All right, I'm going to watch that, and, and I haven't actually seen it yet. I've heard great things about it, uh, but. Uh, what I like about it, the character that usually you pick, it usually somewhat defines the character who you kind of represent yourself. So I get to learn a little bit more about you by watching that. And there's been some great suggestions. I've got a, it looks like I'm doing this just so I can figure out what movie to watch next, but uh, it's worked out quite well. So I'm on the Indiana Jones series right now. So I just flipped through uh, all these different uh, uh, vehicles to figure out how people are inside of them. So it's pretty cool. Well, well Mad Men, Jack Ham and Mad Men is a, is uh Jack Ham? That's a football player. Um, but uh, John Ham, I think he, he's a pretty, John, the, the main character. Don Draper is a character. Yeah, he's messed up. So you yeah, know, don't don't go too far with the parallel there. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I want to say that it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Jim. I've learned a ton. I'm sure the audience has. Um, you've got a, a, a lot of uh, great ways of doing things. Uh, I, I love the way that you've taken what you've been through and turned it into a, uh, a fantastic investment firm. You're superseding all the investments that most groups make in a, in a year. So you guys are hustling hard. And I, I think that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and we have a good portfolio. I don't think I stress that enough. I mean, you know, I, I, we're not specialists or geniuses, but we, 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 so far it looks like we've got, no one would trade our portfolio. So I love it. And, th and that's important. So uh, there's one last question I'll ask, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Mm -hmm. And the question is that, you know, throughout the time that you've been working with startups and you've been in this space, is there a story that just pops to mind that you really think is amazing that, wow, I can't believe these guys did X or Y and uh, that you want to share with the, with the community? Oh, like I said, I'm not good at recall. Help me out. What would, what would you like to hear? Give me, I mean, I'm sure I can think of a hundred, but. Well, there's usually, I don't know, that story where the startup was just trying to find market fit. They were on the verge of. Bank. Oh, so you mean like a serious one, like a good yeah. story, like a business story. Yeah. And they just pulled it off and you couldn't believe they made it. And. Uh, Pull you the were... rabbit out of the hat. A good yeah, exactly. 
Um, golly, there've been a lot of good pivots lately. Um, this is a company I don't know them very well. They're in our portfolio, but I can, I can tell their story. Um, just because it's a pivot story. And, and, you know, a typical thing that angels and, and, and VC says, you know, we like, we like our founders to be scrappy, which is another way of saying tenacious. They're not going to give up. So again, just not, I don't have a lot of detail, but this company was in the travel space. It was a young woman, is a, still a young woman, um, who actually one of my partners really liked. He just said, she's, she's got it. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm willing to bet on this. It was through an incubator uh, or, you know, a fund incubator um, that we've done a lot of deals with. So it was vetted and all that. So COVID hit, they were literally at a conference for uh, like a 500 startups for travel companies in Europe and our tech crunch or something. And they immediately, I would say immediately, but they just quickly decided to jettison the whole travel thing. And they created this sort of uh, office, it's for office managers. It's sort of like a one platform that combines, it's like, a, it's like keeping your to-do list, like your tasks. And it, it brings in like every single, you know, app or, or program that you would have into one and, 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 um, and they, you know, they're slowly building the business, um, you know, building it out. And uh, so, you know, it's not really a personal story for me, but it's just an example of, you know, two young founders just pivoting on the fly. And uh, actually I have a call with them tomorrow. They're doing a raise and I, I can't wait to hear more about uh, what they're doing, so. I love it. You know what, it's, uh, it takes those moments and the big ones that hit you like a ton of bricks to figure out that you got to make a little bit of a change or a big change. Uh, but it also comes down to investors believing in them and knowing that the founder is the driver to all of this. And if they're a good founder, then they're going to be quick on their feet and they're going to make the change they need to. Helps me young because even if this failed, they knew that they could come back and start a new company, you know, before they were 30, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jim, again, thank you very much for your time. And the, what we love to do at the end of our segment is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to the audience, to investors, to startups, founders, anything you want to share from advice, I turn it over to you. But oh, I man, I don't have much that. advice. Uh, just don't, don't be too full of yourself, I guess. And uh, you know, I probably sound like it. You know, we, we try and lead with humility. And you know, we're a probability investor. So we think luck plays a big part. So I guess maybe it's just realize when you start to, you know, things are going away or not, that, you know, luck, luck is playing a big factor. Don't be hard on yourself. I love it. Awesome. Again, thank you very much for your time. Oh, that was awesome. Jim was fantastic. Shared a lot of great insights and uh, I learned a ton. And I think uh, that's what the key is that we all have to learn a little something every time we talk with someone. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, going forward, I think Jim made a, a lot of great, uh, a lot of great points and, and even from a minimal to a lot of, uh, deep dive information, it's always going to be helpful as an investor. Um, I love the way that they do their investing using the ledger side, a uh, very cool way of doing it. And I think, uh, you know, that superpower question, I'm going to have to ask that going forward. So thank you everybody for joining in today and listening to, uh, ask an, ask, a, an angel and, We'll see you guys soon. Please like, share, add all those great things on social media and looking forward to seeing you guys all soon. Thank you.